Welcome to The Hidden World of Women, a podcast brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. My name is Emma and I'll be your host for today's episode. Hello, 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 and welcome to a slightly different episode of The Hidden World of Women. As our introduction mentions, The Hidden World of Women is a podcast brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. Earlier this month, we hosted two perinatal mental health events. The morning session was aimed at families or people supporting families in the perinatal period. So we define the perinatal period as conception to the youngest child turning four. And these events specifically focused on raising awareness and decreasing stigma around mental health in this time. We invited Joe and George to speak about their experiences. Joe spoke about her time in the mother baby unit and George was very candid about all the things that he did wrong as he focused on his wife and their new child and forgot to think about himself and look after himself. So as a result, his mental health suffered and as he says, you cannot pour from an empty cup. So uh, he shares his struggles in that time and the things that he noticed and um, I guess some messages for dads out there. So these personal stories were too good not to share again. So I have put them together to make this episode for the podcast. And when I say I, I do mean that I've got my husband to put these um, these interviews, oh, sorry, these um, presentations together so that we have this for our podcast today. I have to say a big thank you to Fran from Hullabaloo, who you will hear ask George some questions before, uh, before he got up and gave his presentation. Fran and James were our videographers for the event. And the questions that you'll hear make up part of the social media promo reel. Sadly, I didn't get a copy of the questions that Joe was asked yet, uh, but very big thank you to Fran who was able to get the audio from the event and pass that on to me so that we could make this uh, episode for you today. Uh, you'll also hear from Tara and Kate who emceed. Tara was the person who was asking if anyone has any questions and um, sharing at the end of Joe's. And Kate was the one asking if anybody had any questions at the end of George. Um, so thank you, Tara and Kate, for all the work that you put in for the event and for um, for everything that you brought to these presentations. Uh, there are community engagement officers at Women's Health, and you will also hear Margaret interjecting at the end of George's presentation. Uh, she's sharing things around... Um, the you know how as advocates people can push against that so margaret is uh, someone who runs uh, therapeutic groups at women's health now in the podcast there may be times where the questions from the audience are tricky to hear if they were audible you know even if they were tricky to hear if they were audible i've left them in if they were completely inaudible uh, and all we basically had was the buzzing from the audience i have cut them out but I've left the responses in because I think that the information that came in those responses was really valuable and I didn't want to cut that out just because we couldn't hear the question. I think when we hear the response, we can kind of work out what that question was uh, and we can kind of make some inferences there. Once again, I want to thank Joe and George for sharing and for coming along and sharing so openly and freely and really helping to decrease the stigma and break down some of those myths and um, and help try and let people know that they're not alone. You know, we hear so often through all the podcasts that we have and through the groups and the workshops and the, the work that we do at Women's Health, we hear how powerful it is to know that you're not alone. We hear how isolating it can be to feel like you are alone and how, you know, how when you realize that there are other people who have gone through similar experiences, how you think that actually, if other people have gone through this, I can get through this as well. So really big thank you to George and Joe 
for sharing their stories and you know the feedback on the day was that the people in the audience found that those personal stories were so much more powerful than any of the statistics or any of the you know reading from the literature it really is around hearing people's stories so without any further chattering away from me I am going to head out of the intro and we're going to go straight into Joe and then George and I'll come back to wrap up at the end. kindly said I'm Joanne Um, and yes I did suffer quite severely with postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety. I want you to have a look at the mum in this photo. What do you notice? Can you see anything different or wrong with her? At this particular time I was deep in the trenches. To most people they would see a mum who was happy, healthy and looked completely like the person next door to her and had no idea that she was going through it. None of my family really knew either. And it was only uh, shortly after this period, which I'm going to talk about in a second, that I got the help that I needed. Mental illness, unfortunately, doesn't have boundaries. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, educated or non-educated. Anyone can suffer it at any time. For me, the moment I stepped out of the hospital doors after delivering my second son, I was hit like a tonne of bricks in March 2015. Everything I knew was suddenly not the same. I couldn't go to the gym when I wanted, shopping took on a whole new meaning, let alone just getting organised to head out for the day. For some, they wouldn't care about this, but it was my identity. That was all of a sudden different and I wasn't prepared for it. I felt so frustrated and I couldn't understand why I was feeling that way. I had an amazingly supportive husband by my side who only wanted the best for me. Sometimes it would hurt my head because I was so bad for feeling the way that I did. Some of the symptoms that Margaret talked about were certainly present for myself. Yes, I have panic attacks, a racing heart, Um, I was persistently generalised worrying about my uh, safety of my baby and if I was doing okay. I had abrupt mood swings. I was constantly sad and low, crying for no obvious reasons. I was on edge, panicky. I was constantly tired and lack of energy. I had little to no interest in normal things in life. Sleeping, yeah, well, who doesn't when they have (laughs) a newborn baby or a a small one? Uh, And I pretty much withdrew from my friends and family, was easily annoyed and irritated, felt angry, found it extremely difficult to focus, concentrate, or even remember to do daily tasks. And yes, I did at that particular time have thoughts on death or suicide. Over the next few months, my mental health declined and it was probably wasn't helped by the feeding issues, the screaming baby due to reflux and colic, as well as an undiagnosed tongue tie. 
Instead of giving up, I kept trying to do all I did before. This, the cleaning, the exercising, six to seven days a week, the afternoon walk, studying, all of it. The anxiety increased and slowly it became harder for me to go out. I got heart palpitations and it was also harder to get things done around the house. People who see me now cannot believe I was ever that bad. My poor husband dealt with the daily meltdowns because I just couldn't cope with it all. I know it was all in my head, but when you're in that state, it is very hard to see otherwise. In December 2015, my husband in comp combination with the GP and child health nurse convinced me to go to the Raphael Centre in Subiaco. That was after the child health nurse had done uh, the score chart that you do, as well as seeing um, my GP several times throughout. Throughout that eight month period, I was regularly seen by the child health nurse. And yes, I think at that particular time, I actually, I wouldn't say forged the you know perinatal score chart, but I don't think I was really honest with myself at that particular time. I also know um, that I was fearful for the fact that if I did say there was something wrong with me, A, a label would be attached to me, and also the fear of judgment from other people at that particular time, because I just wanted to do okay. So at that particular time, I went off to the Raphael Centre, where I was assessed by the staff there. They quite strongly and quickly suggested I needed to be seen. This may, they actually didn't want me to leave that afternoon and to go home. They actually wanted me to go straight um, to be seen by um, the team at the mother and baby unit. I convinced them that I wasn't going to take my own life on that particular day and that I was okay to go home because I just wanted to get my things in order. I was assessed there and determined that I needed to straight, um, sorry, the admission straight away and after much deliberation I finally agreed to be admitted to the mother and baby unit at King Edward's Memorial Hospital. And the next one please. The MBU is a special eight bed centre where mothers can bring their babies for mental health treatment. I spent four weeks consisting of two parts before and after Christmas because I wanted to be at home with my family and I didn't, at that particular time, I didn't want my brothers and sisters and all the rest of it to know that I wasn't okay. So I checked out for the Christmas period and went back in again. I attended there and stayed with my son, Sam. For me, it saved my life. It was a very positive experience. Occasionally it was hard to be there. There was a number of unwell mothers, some requiring 24-7 care, some who couldn't be left in their rooms by themselves. The MPU was founded at King Edward Memorial Hospital 10 years ago and a few years ago a second eight-bed MPU opened at Fiona Stanley in Perth South. It provides intense one-on-one -on -one care for new mothers with acute psychiatric conditions. Each mum and their baby have an assigned mental health nurse. They have two mother craft nurses on every shift and they're specifically there to teach and to help you manage your baby. 
Daily we had a meditation class as well as group therapy in the mornings and an hour, sorry, and then coupled with cognitive behavioural therapy. We were also allowed out for daily walks, cafe visits, etc. if they felt we were up to it. At night, if we needed it, there was also capacity for the nurses to care for the babies in a nursery so that the mother could get some extra sleep. As a result of my stay, not only did I get the help that I needed, I also relearned the, <coughs> the skill of knitting, which my husband was so excited about because he wanted those knitted jocks. <laughs> I also formed a valuable support network and continued to connect and communicate up until today with these women. My stay there was a journey changer that I needed. I remember walking around the supermarket actually during my admission, trying to get ready for Christmas, delusional, distracted, and was struggling to even be present. There was at that moment that I decided that something needed to change. I was completely against taking medication, especially as I was still breastfeeding. This was as a result of being prescribed antidepressants when I had my firstborn, who is now 22. At the time, I distinctly remember taking the medication and seeing physical facial changes in him as well as the behaviours changed. I ceased taking that medication straight away because I didn't want to see any further proof of that flowing through. At my stay at the MBU, they presented to me the research done because I was so against taking medication to get help. That research done by King Edward Memorial Hospital demonstrated the amount of medication that would actually be transferred through the breast milk. Infant exposure to antidepressants through the breast milk is generally low to very low, and most newer antidepressants produce very low or undetectable plasma concentration in nursing infants. I still wasn't convinced, though I decided to give it a go. My son was starting to self-wean, so maybe it was a partial blessing. They prescribed the medication and I started taking it, and within a few weeks, my mindset started to improve. Over the next few months, I started the Mum Active journey, which has given me so much passion and excitement and I feel they come to, came to life again. My bond with my son has gone from strength to strength and it was like a cloud that I lifted above my head. Just to give you a little synopsis in there, Mum Active was started as a result of exercise becoming so important to me in my postnatal period and there wasn't anything functional at that particular time. So I was interchanging running crops for breastfeeding bras. And I thought, mums deserve so much more. Like we shouldn't be sitting in the back of the car, you know, trying to do this interchange just so that I had the ability to breastfeed my baby and go for a run. So we're talking, you know, five, six years ago. And so the market has obviously changed since that period. but. Uh, Mum Active was the first Australian company in, uh, to create a pure pregnancy and breastfeeding activewear. Um, one of the other things that I do a lot through the business is not only just create activewear, it's also creating a community for mums to be able to share, to be able to learn. I regularly share my story amongst the community. Um, and I have a lot of mums all over Australia and also particularly in the US that reach out to me personally to be able to get some help. 
Um, a lot of the US mums actually are still in fear of reaching out and getting the help because they are so scared their children will be taken away from them. So that's in 2020 or 2021 and they still are fearful for that action to happen. So, um, so last year I did an interview on Channel 10 um, to share, openly share my story because I believe in the power if I can speak and share my particular story, it may help one, two, three, five other women possibly maybe able to stand and go, hey, I'm not okay, I'm not really coping, I might need some help. And as I said, through me sharing my story, I'm also able to recognise when I see other women who might not be okay and sort of go, hey, just checking in, are you alright? Um, and that's a very powerful thing. <coughs> I've always been an advocate of the Act of Belong Commit and whenever I'm feeling anxious or not quite right, I chuck on the joggers and hit the track. Keeping my nutrition, alcohol consumption and exercise in check makes it a lot more manageable. With the anxiety under control, it is now much easier to get out and mingle. The first steps are often the hardest and getting back into action is a mission, but afterwards I feel so much better. Three years ago, I had my daughter who is here with us today. <laughs> and yes, I am still medicated. And yes, I was medicated throughout my pregnancy and breastfeeding journey with hair. So it shows that obviously it doesn't have a lot of effect because she is quite okay. <laughs> um, as a, but as a precaution, my GP, along with my obstetric team, did send me off to the Elizabeth Centre in Claremont just to be monitored and to be kept on track. Thankfully, as a result of the medication, as well as the support network that I had around, as well as by this stage, obviously I'd started sharing openly my story, I did not suffer like I did previously. In saying this, yes, I still struggle from time to time, and I have days whereby I just feel like I can't lift the fog. And I talk about that quite a lot in terms of when I was really dark and in a very, very bad place, it felt like there was just a fog in front of my head, around my face, and I couldn't see beyond it. I couldn't see the pretty colours, I couldn't see anything else. It was just there, harnessing the, the joy, excitement, etc., and it just wouldn't go away. No, I didn't have days where I slept in bed for days and days and days, like some people find that they do. I was getting up, I was doing my daily activities, but I still felt like there was this massive fog that sat over the top of me that I just couldn't snap out of. Someone actually did say to me a few years ago, um, and when I was sharing my story, they said, um, you should have just been able to snap at your fingers and get out of it. And I just sort of went, well, no. And like, they didn't feel that it was something that, um, you know, like that I had the power, sorry, they felt I had the power to be able to change it myself. And it was only as a result of my uh, taking the medication and for me going to the mum and bub unit that I was able to break out of it and I feel that if I didn't probably like what happened 22 years ago because I feel that that postnatal depression actually carried on between that period it was never really dealt with and it's only now it has been uh, probably dealt with in a better manner then I'm able to do what I continually do. My husband now works away pretty much 70 days, or 70 days at a time. Uh, we're three weeks in, we've got another 
five or six weeks to go before he's home. So yes, I'm doing it with three kids by myself a lot of the time. So a lot of people say FIFO is something that can create that post-oppression. I suppose if I didn't get the help that I got back then, I certainly wouldn't be able to do what I am doing today, running a business, um, three children and my husband working away. This year I gave up my part-time teaching role to do the business full-time because I just couldn't cope with it all. Um, I'm blessed that I got the help I needed as so many just sit there and suffer in absolute silence. And as part of a future journey, I want to continue to help mums who also may be struggling so that they too can see that there is light and support. My mission and goal is to get the federal government to be able to provide further postnatal help in that because I believe there are actually four trimesters. And in the fourth trimester, women need to um, receive further help, connection, um, possibility to check in. We see like obstetrics or whatever else throughout our three trimesters. And then the fourth is kind of like, oh, go away for your six week checkup, okay. You on the pill? Have you had your cervix? You know, all of these sorts of things. And then that's it. And I feel like, you know, especially, I had actually included a little snip um, from Panda, so I'm a Panda champion um, as a result of doing it. So I go on and help women sh by sharing my story, also connecting with them through the Panda um, network. And last year, particularly as a result of COVID, they thought saw a 130% increase. It's amazing. As in people just calling the Panda hotline. Maybe possibly women as a result of COVID uh, were going in and checking out pretty quickly after having babies. Like I know women, six hours after having a baby, they were checking out. They had established their feeding like techniques. They hadn't like got things under control. Their adrenaline was still running from giving birth and there was very limited connection and support for them. So no wonder we saw such an increase. Um, also, that whole village that is around to help support uh, a mother and baby that kind of dissipated with a lot of women being stranded at home in lockdown periods, especially over in Melbourne. Um, and also the fact that their parents or grandparents or aunties and uncles couldn't even come visit to provide them with that service of help as well. Uh, possibly is a number of big reasons why we've seen such a massive increase in women needing some perinatal and postnatal um, help. Um, so thank you very much for listening to me today. There was, uh, there is a uh, further slide which actually talks about the numbers. So with the, po sorry, antenatal anxiety and depression, they believe there's about one in 10 um, women are 1 in 20 men that do experience it and then postnatally there's more than 1 in 7 and up to 1 in 10 new dads um, that experience it unfortunately as well. Um, so yes, thank you. Thank you for giving us your story and it's very powerful to hear someone speak out. Um, and I think, like you said, never underestimate the power of sharing a story. Yes. Um, somewhat related, but I watched a TED talk about how Holocaust survivors were sharing their experience, and the ones that shared their experience actually lived significantly longer than the ones that didn't.
So I think we often underestimate our society, how important it is to talk, and also how much other people are probably feeling exactly the same as you are. And I can imagine for most new mums, there's sleepless nights, there's struggles, there's times where you wonder what the hell you were doing, um, and that's normal, and that's absolutely fine to talk about. Um, one of the things that we've actually done in, at the end of last year was um, we um, bought out an Indigenous print, um, and part of the profits from that are actually going to an Aboriginal mental health group because we found that in regards to Aboriginal women, they again, it's a completely different journey and a lot of them are struggling massively, especially in remote communities. Um, so we want to be able to reach out and also connect with them. So one of the other bits that I've done as a result of it as well is sitting down with Aboriginal women and discussing, you know, their own, obviously they can only speak of their own personal journey, um, but again, sharing and getting, having those questions, we call them yarns with them, to be able to get a little bit more information, again, so that they may be able to provide their story. Why are you here? Alright, um, I'm George Malta. I'm here because Emma reached out asking if anyone had any stories. And mental health doesn't get enough kind of uh, display in our society. So like, yeah, I'll add a story into it. Brilliant. At least there's something else out there. So tell me, in a nutshell, like one to two sentences, what is your story? <laughs> um, my wife suffered postnatal depression. We handled it really well for her and I ignored my own mental health and fell off a cliff, right. <laughs> more or less. That's it's not unusual, I think. Yeah. Um, so why, why did you say yes to Emma to come and talk here? Essentially because she asked. What so about then, you know, how, is important, how important is it to share the stories of men with like, postnatal mental health issues? Because I, I know that it exists and I just, I actually did a video last year about if I had postnatal anxiety. It's mm -hmm. great, but it was people just don't talk about it enough. So why do you, why is it important to talk about it? Because people don't. Um, if you don't talk about it, people don't know that it's a thing. And for my own feelings, it was my wife is the centre of my attention. My wife and child are the most important part. As long as they're fine, everything's fine. Which is not true if you're falling to pieces whilst you're doing it. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing your story. Um, are there any particular, do you have any tips for any men who might be going through what you went through or still, any just brief like where to get help maybe or just back to seek out help? Um, uh, as the other lady said, make sure you've got an advocate. Talk to your friends make sure, and family, make sure you've got a support network. We have one, it's kind of loose, but my wife and I are very independent people. So whilst we're happy for everyone to reach out to us, we'll never reach out to anyone else. And that caused a lot of issues for us. So just make sure you have people around that you are happy talking to. Right. George is the living embodiment of why we tell people it's important to put on our own oxygen mask before helping anyone else put on theirs. But I'll let George tell you about that. Please welcome George. So mine is a bit of a cautionary tale. 
Um, my wife did pretty much everything possibly right that she could. And I managed to stuff up all of my bits as best as I could as well. <laughs> so a little bit of background about myself and my wife. We both have what amounts to depression and anxiety. I won't bother going into the exact details. Um, and we've known about this for the better part of 15 odd years. So we've been to various things for mental health counselling. We know a lot of the kind of routines, the things you should do, but knowing what you should do doesn't necessarily translate into being able to do them. Um, when we had our first child, there was, especially in the suburb we were in, there was a bit of a whooping cough epidemic going around. So we shut in our house for three months and basically didn't come out at all. My wife, a very independent woman, which I'm very happy for, has a lot of issues with uh, around being viewed purely as a mother of her child. She's, um, you know, she has her own likes and interests, and when every conversation starts off with how is or how's the baby going, that kind of thing, that started wearing on her. And then being cooped up for so long as well causes a few issues, but we got through that no problem. Come time for our second child. Just before she was due, we moved house, our bed broke, we had a lot of difficulties getting a new one to the effect that we were basically sleeping on the floor for two weeks, a month out from her being due. Um, so this one went a little bit harder than the second. Delivery went ridiculously quickly. From the point her water broke and us rushing to the hospital, within an hour we had our second child. To say that we weren't ready for it that quickly is an understatement. We were both just sitting in shock, the fact that we already had a second child. And uh, which you'd think that nine, 10 months leading up to this would prepare you a bit better, but apparently not. We got back home and I wanted my wife to just, you know, we've just got our new bed, it's great. Just relax, take time for you. I'll look after the baby, anything needs to be done, I'm happy to do. I'll bring the baby to you when she, uh, when she needs to be fed. If you're not up to it, I've got formula. It's not an option we particularly want to use, but if we need to, we will use it. Again, my wife's rather independent woman. I made the mistake of saying, I can handle everything. You don't, yeah. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> so she felt like she was needless, like she was completely useless. She spent a week in bed just rocking back and forth, doing nothing. I barely got her, I barely got her to eat and I'd tell what time I could, because my eldest is in school, trying to make sure he's okay, trying to make sure the youngest is taken care of where I could. I spoke to her, look, you know, we, this can't go on. So we need to do something. Now, we have a fairly loose um, network of people to help us out. My parents, uh, and my dad has serious health issues, so he can't really be relied on. My mum is just crazy flaky. Can't watch the kids today, it's raining. <laughs> Her parents live in Albany. We have no other family within 2,000 kilometers, roughly speaking. Um, so we have other friends we could call on, but we're, we're independent people. We don't like asking other people for help. However, any of our friends, we would more than happily, if they asked for anything, we'd jump to it. And it's a mentality you really kind of got to break out of. Make sure beforehand, you've got people you can rely on. Even if no one else, just one friend, someone you can talk to with very least. So that way, 
just you feel comfortable saying, I'm not handling it. Even if you don't ask for help, just someone that you can speak to. Happily, my wife had done this. We'd had a friend who had some similar mental health issues who had um, had herself institutionalized for a few weeks prior. Had just come out and my wife had been speaking with her a little bit about her experiences and so on, which made her much more comfort uh, comfortable. One day I was taking my son to school. I get a message from my wife. Hey, our friends have come pick me up and taken me to Fiona Stanley. I'm like, okay, great. Just either let them get them to keep me in the loop, because, you know, it was clearly something I had to give at some point. I was expecting this kind of a message, so I wasn't too freaked out, thankfully. Um, so I got a message, just keep me in the loop or get them to keep me in the loop. We got crazy lucky. Um, the mother-baby unit down at family, uh, Fiona Stanley had a free spot, she got straight in. Then, so the programs they run there, absolutely fantastic. If you pay attention and follow through them, again, fantastic stuff. I'm not the one who experienced most of it, so I'm not really gonna to touch on it because I'll probably get things wrong. Now, every second day, roughly speaking, I would go with my four-year-old down to Fiona Stanley. We live over in Belmont, and we spend a couple of hours with mum, and then we'd head home. I don't drive, so we're taking public transport the whole way. This man, roughly three hours out of our day, was traveling to and from there. My four-year-old obviously didn't understand why mum wasn't around, what was going on. Um, because of how quick everything went with my daughter's birth, it was very much a, hey grandma, can you look after our son? Foop, go. So he was a little freaked out that, you know, the baby was taking mum away. So here I am trying to balance, making sure he's taken care of, making sure my wife's okay, getting in there to see them everything. And I just neglected myself. To begin with, this was fine. Didn't cause any issues. Like I was a little stressed out, but nothing too bad. And then as we went along, okay, I got invited to do some of the courses with my wife, with Fiona Stanley. And listening, I'm like, okay, how's everyone, at, like, how's everything going? How are the kids? How's mum? How's the baby? Everything's going fine. They turn around and say, how's dad going? My answer was, it doesn't matter as long as they are all fine. Now, I knew in the back of my head, again, everything I've done with uh, mental health, my own mental health, that's the wrong answer. My wife knew it was the wrong answer, but she was focused on herself and rightly so. Either they didn't pick it up or they're like, okay, it hasn't gotten too bad yet, he'll say something. We... My wife went through the mother baby unit in six weeks and the whole time was I just want her well, well enough to come home and her whole thing was she just wants to come home. So we didn't do, we didn't take the time needed for her to heal properly. I didn't put in the effort to make sure I was feeling fine. As they say, you can't fill up, uh, you can't, uh, if your cup's not full, you can't fill up other people's cup. And mine was draining rapidly. By the time my wife got home, I was a wreck. I could barely, because I, I basically still had to do the vast majority of the work. Which, again, not complaining about, but it was taking its toll on me. I wasn't speaking out about my own mental health issues because I didn't want my issues to be a strain on my wife. Because of how poorly I was handling things, my issues became a strain on my wife. Probably a worse one than if I just acknowledged the fact that I was struggling. There are plenty of resources about 
not just for mums, for dads as well. And Fiona Stanley made a point of asking me if I had issues. And I just turned around and said, no. Take care of yourselves. Dads, ah, excuse me, dads especially. If I had gone once every three days, that would have been fine for my son, for my wife, and it would have been way better for me. I would have had time to relax. If I had reached out to friends, hey, can you just watch my son for two hours? Just so I can take a moment, relax, unwind, and fill my cup. Because of our choices, my wife had a lot of trouble connecting with our daughter. She's still, uh, as um, Joanna, I believe the previous speaker said, she doesn't have the same relationship as with their earlier children. It's the same with my wife, you can see it. And I don't know, it was an easy thing to avoid. I just needed to turn around and say, I need help. Thank you. Uh, if you have any questions, stumble into a gender studies course and my god that slaps some sense into me something cool so one guys if you have the opportunity do that um, but um, I think more it is I've always had it drilled in my head self-sustainably uh, be self-sustainable first do everything you can first then help everyone around you never have I had it drilled into my head that you can be one of the people who gets the help it's always been there in that help everyone around you, but make sure you're stable first. And that's yeah. that you obviously work, you have knowledge there from being a human. Mm. I still think society does have that aspect. Oh, absolutely. Particularly also men. Yeah. I think that's, you know, a sort of thing. Well, that's it. And a great example is I'm a stay-at-home dad. I basically have been since my son was two. The number of people who are like, you're a stay-at-home dad. Wow. I like that shouldn't be the response. It's like the response should be okay. Just to normalize it that much that nobody kind of acknowledges it. Yeah. Um I didn't actively go out and seek help. However, once once we okay, once we've gone through the worst of what happened after Fiona Stanley, that's the point where I realized like all of this could have been avoided if I had just taken care of myself. So now we make a point wherever possible to go, okay, if any stress is showing, cool. You can take a day or two, something like that, just to yourself, do whatever you want. If I need help, I'll get it. Otherwise, we'll just, you know, connect with friends, um, which is something we've made a much stronger point of. 
that regularly seeing our friends, making our issues known, even if not specifically asking for help, just so you can vent. Um, and, oh, sorry, something I did want to mention about Fiona Stanley, they made it very clear. If you're having these issues, if you're not having and connecting with your kid well, if you're having uh, perinatal mental health issues, that's okay. You don't have to be ashamed, and you're not a bad person for it. Um, so since that point, I've actually actively taken more steps to follow up on all the uh, advice and coping mechanisms so on that I've been given. So I haven't actively gone out. My mental health issues tend to be the background not terribly problematic, but when I get into really high stress situations, I spiral down really quick. Um, so typically that means I don't need to see anyone. And by the point where I start spiraling down, I have to jump on it really quick. And again, as uh, one of the previous speakers said, make sure you've got an advocate. Me and my wife are awful at advocating for ourselves. Get an advocate. Any other questions? Most of the other dads I know have mental health issues, so I don't find any real problem talking with them or um, responding. Oddly enough, almost all of them happen to be um, stay-at-home dads as well. Um, as far as like my eldest friends from schools, their parents, I relatively rarely speak with them outside of like pick up and drop off things. So it ha the opportunity hasn't come up. The, the fact that you know that these other dads also have mental health issues means that um, it is something that in, in your circle is spoken about. Um, I know that for a lot of men, talking about their mental health is really, really hush hush. Like, if they're struggling, they're going to hide it. And um, it, yeah, it's not until they start spiraling that things start happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's very much an Aussie bloke kind of yeah. step out of it kind of thing. Yeah, I have a few friends that are very much like, we're kind of keeping an eye on them, but happily, the people with mental health, well, happily, the people with mental health issues outnumber those that don't in my circle of friends. So it's like, okay, you're not doing well. We can see this. If you need help, say it. But yeah. That's amazing, well done. For me, it was a very gradual thing. Um, I've, at my own estimation, I've been struggling with mental health issues since I was 15, I'm now 39. I didn't, you know, my wife came to me about it when I was 30 something. Um, all I can say is plant the seeds for it. He won't listen to you and I, God knows why, but we never listen to the people closest to us. I have this problem all the time with my wife. I'm very much the kind of person who, oh, I'm just a little sick. It'll, I'll get over it in a week. I don't need to go to the doctor. She's sick, go to the doctor. Doesn't matter, you like a little sniffles, straight to the doctor. So I'm an idiot. I gotta work on that. And men in general have the same problem, but plant the seeds around it. Speak to his friend and say, hey, look. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and where you can, tell them, look, you know, maybe you're drinking a bit much or 
just plant the seeds around him. The only, as much as he probably needs the help, well, a few years ago, we can only hope that he'll get it as quickly as he can. And sometimes that will take years. But if you planted the seeds, you've done what you can. And it's again, keep your cup full. Your problems are your problems, his problems are his problems. If you can help him as much, great, but don't feel like you have to. Something that's um, really difficult when you are trying to be an advocate for someone is that if they don't want the help, if they're not ready for it, they're, they're, yeah, they're going to push you away at every step that they can because drinking, so when I talked about self-care, it's not drinking or drugs or gambling, porn, blowing your life savings. Yeah. Um, that's not self-care, that's actually avoidance and it's self-medicating and when people are doing that, it can be really hard. And it's and George is right, you, you need to look after you because unfortunately he's a grown-up and unless he asks for help, people aren't able to help him. In the um, bags today as well, there is a flyer in there that's got a listing of a whole heap of amazing services for mums and as well as for dads. So places like Relationships Australia also do a really great men's program. So there is a heap of resources in there too. It's like exactly like Margaret and George were saying, if, if he's not ready, he's not ready. But if you can provide the information there, you know, you're doing more than you already need to. Just to add a little to that one. Um, when I first went into therapy about my, specifically I have uh, chronic dyslamia, so my mood is just always low. When, when you're happy, that's me ecstatic. When you're sad, I'm at depressed kind of levels and you know, the whole spiral down, uh, spiral down from there. Um, I also have anxiety issues and I also have avoidance issues, who would have guessed that? Um, when I first went to therapy, I, I took everything on board. I picked up, I asked my psychologist for as much reading material on the topic as possible. Went regular, no problem like that. I was great when I was going there. But when I wasn't, I wasn't applying anything. I knew it all, I just wasn't doing it. So in the end, I turned around and said, look, everything we're doing is great, but it's not working for me. So I'm going, I can't afford to keep coming because it's a massive drain on my, on my bank account at the time. I was still working uh, part-time, I was raising my son part-time, I was in uni part-time. My wife was doing the same except working full-time. You can see why I became a stay-at-home dad. Um, so I, I just wasn't ready to accept what I needed to do. A few years later, again, I got to the point, and again, this is where I'm, where I'm at the low level, I'm okay. This is when the stress really starts piling up and working part-time, small child, exams at uni, better believe the stress came out in buckets. Um, that's the point where I really should be medicated. And that's the point where I go, okay, I need to see my therapist. And I was in, a, in the right mentality to actually implement it. But when I got to that baseline level where I was coasting, I was more or less fine, I just failed at implementing it. And it took me many years before I finally could actually get that done. Any other questions? Thank you, George. That's um, amazing. Thank you. I think that um, you know, as we need a lot of support in, in many periods of our life, and we all, you know, like 
So like we know we can come to places like this, we can find the numbers, we can do get the help that you know our friends or ourselves need. But we also need to remember that in that we've got these amazing men in our life that have kind of a lot of the time been raised to exactly like Margaret was saying, just kind of get on with it, pull up your socks and keep going. And um, and have you know George coming today and talking about it, it's um, it's just amazing. And I think the more that we can let the men in our lives know that it is okay to say, you know, this is a bit hard, and they've got their own set of pressures on them. So the more support that they can have, you know, we can share the load and um, and that just benefits everybody. So thank you again for coming and sharing your story. It was amazing, obviously resonated with a lot of people here as well. So thank you, George. Again, I'd like to say a huge thank you to Joe and George for giving so freely of their, their time to attend the event and for allowing me to use these recordings for this podcast. WHWS does run a number of events throughout the year similar to our perinatal mental health events. So if you'd like to keep up to date with the events that we run, you can follow us on all the socials and I'll pop the links to those in the show notes. If you're in the perinatal period and feel like you might need some support, then Women's Health and Wellbeing Services offers counselling via telehealth or in person. And we also have an online learning platform called The Hidden World of You. Again, I'll put the link for that in the show notes. Uh, on that learning platform, we have a few different, well, we've got quite a few different courses, uh, but one specifically relating to perinatal mental health are an eight-week course that we have Not What I Was Expecting, and that is specifically around perinatal mental health. We also have a new dad's information book, which hopefully will be on the site by the time you're listening to this. We have a self-compassion and anxiety workshop, so two separate workshops. And if you use the code one free, you'll get your first month free. So it's, I think, $15 a month for membership or $120 Australian per year. And as I said, use the code one free and that gets access to all of those courses for free for the first month. So I will pop some different notes and some links in the show notes feel free to check them out but right now thank you so much once again to george and joe and thank you for listening to the hidden world of women joining me for today's episode of A Hidden World of Women, a podcast brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. For more information on the services we offer, head to whws.org.au or Women's Health and Wellbeing Services on YouTube and social media. Looking forward to the next episode where we uncover the hidden world of women.